You're listening to the Gordon Damer Show podcast on 98.7 ESPN. This is the Gordon Damer Show on 98.7 ESPN. And that will suffice for the scoring portion of the New York Sports Day today, at least in the current times, right? Rangers, big offensive output, big win for them over the Devils. And then, of course, we have the New York Yankees. Hey there, how's everybody doing? Off and running on this Saturday, April 17th. Hey you, how you doing? Lots to do. This, of course, is the Gordon Damer Show. It is 98.7 FM. ESPN New York, next uh, two-plus hours to run through it all. Of course, the number you know, 1-800-919-ESPN. On Twitter, at Gordon Damer. On Instagram, at Gordon Damer. And more importantly, here on your radio until uh, like 6 o'clock tonight. So let's dive right in because we have a lot to talk about, right? We have a fantastic Nick win last night, beating the Mavericks, beating Christos Porzingis. We got the NFL draft is 12 days away. So exciting to see who goes where, everything else. We've got, uh, we'll see, it seems like on Saturdays, we always get this contingent of Jet fans who are still not convinced that Zach Wilson is going to be the pick at number two. So we'll see if we can keep that string going today. But of course, where we're going to start is with the Yankees. The Yankees are the focus because they have been hot garbage. I mean, there's just no other way to say it. When you're lining up what goes into the Yankees' start of the season so far, well, they don't hit the ball. They don't really catch the ball. Uh, Their starting pitchers outside of Garrett Cole have been bad. Uh, They don't run the bases well. The manager doesn't really seem like uh, he's got a handle on things to get things turned around. The team almost seems like they're in a fog. Just about everything they can do wrong, they are doing wrong, And keep in mind, they're doing this at a time where they're playing a team that they just simply can't beat in the Tampa Bay Rays. So the frustration level for mid-April, I would say, if if there was a frustration quotient that you could run and and add, Google's got to have something like that. Maybe I should check that uh, during the break. That the level of frustration, it's not even frustration now. I think it's now turned to just plain anger. That's the real emotion that is going through with Yankee fans. And for April, for it to be anger uh, is, is really saying something about how the team has played because they are, what, 5-8 and eight on their way to possibly being 5-9 and nine today. And, uh, you know, for 14 games, the uh, fecal roster, if they will, is, is pretty loaded with uh, people that you are pointing the finger at, right? The anger is directed at Brian Cashman. It's uh, directed at Aaron Boone. It's directed at the players. Of course, anytime anything goes wrong for the Yankees, it's going to be directed at analytics. That damn math. Gosh darn you, math. It's direct. I, I've seen people complaining about Yankee Stadium. There's a lot of rundown. And uh, nobody, I, I understand at this point, right? Like when you're angry, what you want is just other people to share your anger. That's all you, you're not looking for reasoned analysis. You're not looking for, for, for level-headed thinking. You're not looking for a calm and reasoned approach. No, no, no. I mean, I'm going to give that to you, but that's not really what you want. So if you want to uh, express your anger, by all means, 1-800-919-ESPN is uh, the telephone number. And right now, Yankees are trailing the Rays 5-3 as they play in the bottom of the seventh inning over at the stadium. So we'll see if uh, the Yankees can maybe, I don't, this is going to sound crazy, 
score more runs than the other team. I know it's at least possible. It's not been deemed impossible, at least so far. But, you know, you hear, and with the anger being what it is, again, that's all people want. They just want to be have other people that can react to their anger with other anger. So everybody can just be angry all at the same time. And, and that anger, if you want to express it, by all means, but that, that anger being expressed as the offense is, is fundamentally flawed, right? Those are the... All the same narratives that are brought up every time the Yankees struggle. They got too many strikeouts. Gary Sanchez is the problem. They need to bunt more. So look, if that's what you need from me, I will give that to you. If you want to just tell me, Gordon, we don't want actual reasoned analysis. We just want you to be angry. And I guess I would say I'm more frustrated than angry. But let's start with the people who always tell you when the Yankees struggle, I knew this was going to I knew this. I knew that this team was going to be bad. I knew that this team was going to struggle. I knew all these things were. Where were you? I could have used you before the season. The problem with those people is they tell you that all the time. I brought this up on on the ESPN New York Tonight Show the other night. John Carlos Stanton goes down swinging, so the, that rally ended, and uh, we'll see. Maybe the game is over as well. It's only at the seventh, but with the Yankees, the way they hit might be. Um, I brought it up on the ESPN New York Tonight Show with Larry during the week. You know, if they were to recreate the movie franchise Back to the Future right now, Marty McFly, you want to feel old, Marty McFly would travel all the way back to 1991. That's how far, 30 years, right? 1991. 1992 is the last time you could say the Yankees well, I mean, not even just say, that's the last year they finished a season below 500. That's how long it has been. So I'm still of the reasoned approach that eventually things are going to turn around. But to steal a line from the 1992 election, it's the economy stupid, it's the offense stupid. So we will open up the phones, 1-800-919-ESPN, to get your thoughts on the problems of the Yankees. But I will tell you right now, the, the fundamental problem with the Yankees, is the offense. That is supposed to be the strength of the team. And the offense simply has not produced. That's where most of the focus has to be. If you want to see things turn around, the number one focus, the number two focus, the number three focus really should be that. That getting people to hit like they are capable of hitting. And I'm I'm not going to tell you the Yankees don't have a lot of things to clean up. They absolutely do. But the fact that they are not hitting is the number one problem with the team. Coming into the day, they were batting 222 as a team. That's 22nd in baseball, and it feels it's hard to believe that there are actually about eight other teams that are lower than them. Their OPS on base plus slugging was 24th. Their runs scored were 25th. Their on base percentage was 21. The Yankees cannot survive without having one of the best offenses in the sport. And you could make the argument, look, they might have, they, their offense might eventually score runs, and at least you can bring up the point, well, that offense might not be good enough to cover up all the other flaws on the team, the defense, the pitching, uh, base running, all the other things. So coming up, we'll get your phone calls involved, 1-800-919-ESPN, 1-800-919-3776. So if you want to be angry, 
Be angry. We will get to you coming up, but we got a lot of stuff to do as we take you up till 6 o'clock tonight. We got to go over that Nick win last night. Maybe, at least so far, the high point of the Yankee season. Uh, the Yankee season. The Nick season. I'm so, uh, I'm so messed up with the Yankees right now. It's the only thing on my mind. It's great to have happiness with the Knicks, but the frustration and the hatred of the, how the Yankees are playing, they have, they have infiltrated my brain to such a level. Everything comes, I'm like John Malkovich and being John Malkovich when he goes inside his own brain and every word is John Malkovich. That's how I feel about the Yankees right now. Everything is about the Yankees. <laughs> This is the Gordon Damer Show on 98.7 ESPN. Oh, and the frustration, the anger, the hatred, the bile is rising when it comes to the Yankee season as uh, the Yankees uh, not only have gotten off to a miserable, terrible, hot garbage of a start, but uh, this afternoon trailing the Rays 5-3 as they uh, play over at the stadium. And uh, look, anytime the Yankees go through struggles, the same points are brought up time and time again and generally they're wrong they're generally wrong now and and it's hard to believe that people would be having criticisms of a team as again as it pointed out is playing as miserably like you could make the argument the Yankees are kind of lucky to be five and eight with the way they've played so far this year but time and time again people will bring up the same points that are not true the fact, well, you know, the Yankees' offense is fundamentally ta- flawed. We, we've talked about this last week, so I'm not going to go through it again. Well, they strike out way too often. Well, that actually has not been the issue this year. Coming into today, they're actually 20th in strikeouts. So 19 other teams strike out more often than them. Well, they need to make more contact. Well, actually, no. Going into last night, they had a 48% ground ball rate. They, had to, they need to make more hard contact. That's what they need to, they have to go back to doing what they generally do, which is hitting. Pretty much all the hitters are slumping at the same time. Why? Because it's baseball, right? The old John Sterling line, that's baseball, Susan. The Yankees, three, four, five, and six hitters have a slash line of 146, a batting average of 146, an on base of 242, a slugging of 248, and an OPS, on-base plus slugging, of 449. No plan can overcome that. I don't care how great the Yankee pitching could be or how great the bullpen could be or how great you want the defense to be or how they could be the uh, 85 Cardinals stealing bases. You're not going to overcome 146, 242, 248. You can't recover from this bad of an offense, and this Yankee team cannot recover even from a mediocre offense. Now, the odds are that at some point they will start to perform. I don't, know, I don't know exactly when. But, you know, I keep I hear people bring these things up, and we'll get to the phones in a second, 1-800-919-ESPN. And, and, and people will point out this thing or that thing. And, and I'll ask myself, well, is that true? Is that true? That's my first reaction, and, and that should be a lot of people's first reaction in a lot of things in life. It's all well and good to say this thing or that thing, but is it actually like I was watching a great video clip. Remember Evil Knievel, right? Everybody's hero, if you're old enough to remember Evil Knievel, jumping this thing and jumping that thing. Caesar's Palace always. So Evil Knievel, obviously, his, his real, I, I don't hate to break this to you, his real name was actually Robert Knievel. Doesn't exactly have the, the same uh, flair as Evil Knievel. But before he was Evil Knievel and he was a daredevil, 
he, you know, got arrested a few times. And he landed in jail one night when he was a teenager. And there was another guy in the jail whose last name was Knoffel. So Knievel and Knoffel were, were jailmates together. And um, the, I guess it was the, the warden, I don't know. Who, who, who's the guy that goes around and, like, checks on the prisoners? Whoever that guy was. He nicknamed Knoffel, Awful Knoffel. So Robbie Knievel said, well, if you're Awful Knoffel, I should be Evil Knievel. Great story. And that's how he got by his name. So, you know, the first thing when you hear a story like that, you got to go check it out to make sure it's true. So that's what I would say to all Yankee fans, or if you're hearing all this criticism of the team, again, they have played like garbage. They're terrible. Almost every single area of the game outside of starting pitching with Garrett Cole and, and maybe the bullpen. But if your first complaint this season is about Gary Sanchez, or if your first complaint this year is a blanket statement about analytics, I'm sorry, it's going to be hard for me to take your, your, your criticism all that seriously. 1-800-919-ESPN is the telephone number, 1-800-919-3776. All right, let the hate flow. <laughs> Let's go out to Eli in Washingtonville. Eli, you're first up on ESPN New York. Hey, Gord, what's going on, man? Listen, man, you missed in the mornings. Tremendous. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> Listen, but I call every show, and I tell them the same thing. That the main problem is Brian Cashman. And then I hang up. Yeah, I can tell you, oh, you're, you're crazy, this, this, and that. No. And then I hear you guys criticize every move that Cashman has made. Like, Jerry Sanchez, terrible move. Now that Glamour Torres was like the That's spectacular, not... great pickup, now this guy can't play shortstop. You know, it, it's this guy, he makes the only move that he made is Orshella that I could give him credit for that hasn't backfired yet. I mean, he's been on the job for 25 years, so any success the team yeah, has had is, is primarily his move. He hasn't won a championship, and those are right. four he guys hasn't. that he's the four. He hasn't. Four, I mean, every four, year, though, they're in the running for the cha- I mean, like, there are many worse people. Like, if you're criticizing Brian Cashman because he's not won a World Series in, in, in since 2009, uh, given with as close as they have got, there, there are far more, I would say there are far better areas to criticize Brian Cashman simply than the fact they've not won a World Series since 2009. The fact right. that they, you know, look, they have absolutely is- no depth on a team that is spending a lot of money, uh, the fact that, the, that he can't ever find a, a starting pitcher that's a, you know any good outside of, of Garrett Cole, who he paid a small fortune to. So there's there's plenty of areas for Brian Cashman. The, the, I mean the the lo- the lineup is not fundamentally flawed. The roster is flawed. So uh, I would that's say that those are better areas for for criti- criticizing Cashman. But you know, but you know when the Yankees are going to get good what? when they play the Orioles, when they play these other teams that they can beat up on. And, you know, they can get healthy. But, and then when you go to the playoffs, and of course, you face, you get good pitching, or you face a team like that's not as scared of you, like, like the Tampa Bay Rays, this happens. You know, Glassnow could have been out the, the, inning the, first, uh, the game the first inning. But you know what? No time to hitting. When you have Brett Gardner and... No, 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 no. Eli, there's no, there's no hitting. That's the problem. It's not necessarily timely hitting. They're not hitting at all. Like, even that first right. inning, they, so had, they had the bases loaded. They had one hit. They got a guy on in an error and a walk. So, it, right, they're so not hitting is, at, at all. There's, there's no – Eli, look, thanks for the call. There, there's no plan 
that is going to uh, erase when you're not hitting at all. They're not hitting at all. Again, coming into the day, as a t- the three, four, five, and six hitters were hitting 146 on base of 242 and a slugging of 248. That's not about timely hitting. That's about any hitting. And, and timely hitting sometimes is home runs. Like the Rays today have five runs. They're going to more than likely win this game. That's because they hit two home runs. Two two-run home runs. Other than that, they have one run. And, and actually, the Rays offense has actually been worse this year. But their, their starting pitching has been, been far better. And they just, they, they're hammering. You know, look, this happens sometimes where one team kind of owns the, what was it, two years ago, three years ago, the, when the Yankees, it seemed like, couldn't beat the Orioles. And the Orioles were one of the worst teams in baseball. Sometimes happens. It's not really about the opponent. It's about the Yankees fixing the Yankees. And they got to get their guys. And I don't know what what, what they're going to do now because, you know, they had the big team meeting and Aaron Boone apparently kind of chewed them out some, I, I guess, as much as 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 he will. Uh, and that did not – I mean, it's not exactly – it's not like they've come out uh, ripping roaring today. And, and it's become this, uh, this thing where the Yankees are almost like the, when you go on a diet on a Monday – you know, they get some opportunities early on, and then they don't cash in. And then by, you know, Wednesday, they're eating ice cream out of a giant uh, helmet or something. You know what I mean? Uh, they just don't. Once they get their opportunities and don't cash in, they go pretty quietly. Now, they scored a couple of runs in the last inning against the Rays' bullpen, which has really struggled this year. But they're just not fundamentally, they're not scoring runs like they should. Their players are not hitting like they should. It's not, they, they didn't put together a bad group of hitters. Their hitters just aren't hitting. That's what it's about. Now, look, if you want to criticize Cashman, that's fine. I, I, my, my criticism of him that wouldn't necessarily, well, you know, he has not won a World Series since, two, I mean, there's a lot of teams that haven't won a World Series since 2009. I, I would say that for someone who was, and I would think that the blame kind of goes up. The blame flows upward. You know, like I know a lot of people will criticize Aaron Boone and, you know, he's the manager of the team. To me, most of the criticism there is, is really criticism of the front office. And when he got here, it was clear, like he's holding this meeting, right? But it was clear when he got here, he was going to be like a, a kind of a rah-rah guy. And, and I, I remember asking, and other people did too, you know, what happens when the going gets tough? And there's not been that many tough times for the Yankees during the regular season. Usually, as we've pointed out time and time again, they, they play a little flat in the beginning of the season. There seems to be a lot of things they need to clean up with defense and, and, and uh, base running and all these type of things, and then they get it going. But right now, it doesn't seem like they got a lot of uh, pep in their step. So the question was back then, you, you know, if you're Mr. Optimism all the time, A, I would think that, that kind of wears thin after a while. And then what's going to happen when you have to be the hardline guy and chew guys out? Will guys kind of tune you out? Now, I, I don't know that meetings really do anything to begin with, but you can't say that there's been any benefit of it today. So that would be the first part. If you want to take a look at more than just the players on the field, and if you want to criticize Brian Cashman, there's plenty of things you can criticize him for. I would not think, well, you know, you haven't won a World Series since 2009 would be the first thing. Again, it's been pointed out, but it's, it's absolutely mind-boggling. You can't have two things. First off, they, you have one injury in, uh, in Luke Voigt, and all of a sudden everybody's playing out of position. There's zero depth on the team. They got Jay Bruce playing first base, can't hit, can't field. They're basically trying guys out at first base. Who can play first base? If you get to the Yankee game early, you might be able to play first base because that's how desperate they are for a first baseman. 
So, you know, I don't think that the lineup is fundamentally flawed, but the roster definitely has some flaws. It has absolutely zero depth whatsoever. And two things can't be true. You can't say we don't really worry about lefty-righty in the lineup and then have Aaron Hicks or Brett Gardner batting third. There's no, there's no argument to be made that either of those guys should be hitting third if you don't care about lefty-righty. You just want to stack the good hitters on top, uh, on top of good hitters because Aaron Hicks, primarily against a, a, a right-handed pitching where you have him batting third and batting left-handed, again, coming into today against righty pitchers, right-handed pitchers, he's hitting 077. <laughs> so, and, and while the, the lineup would generally be an area for the manager, I think most of us believe that he's not really the one uh, pulling the strings. But again, the, the, the blame, I think, can flow upward. It can go from Boone. It can go to Cashman. And uh, you can certainly look at, at ownership as well. You know, the Yankees have, have made it clear, and I brought this point up last week, that usually the reason why you can say, well, you know, the Yankees season, if they don't win a World Series, is a, a failure, is because their goal every single year is to win the World Series. This year, it's pretty clear the number one goal is to stay under the luxury tax threshold. And, and, and I'll tell you what, they will do that come hell or high water. Like, if you're wondering why, well, why would Brian Cashman go out and get Corey Kluber or Jamison Tyone or, or they bring in Rubnit Odor? It's because they, don't want, they can't spend any money. They, they don't want to go over that luxury tax threshold, and they were already pretty high up against that. And by bringing back um, LeMayhew, it made them closer to that, and they are not going over that number come hell or high water. Rugnit Odor, remember when they made the trade for Odor? They were like, where is, where is he going to play? Where? Well, he's going to play second base because at least he can field the position, unlike Jay Bruce. But the main appeal to him was that the Rangers are picking up the entire salary, so you can add a player, and it doesn't cost you anything against the luxury tax threshold. Now back to the Gordon Damer Show on 98.7 ESPN. Hey, the Michael K Show is celebrating its new 2 p.m. start time by giving away $10,000 in the month of April. Every weekday in the 2 p.m. hour, be listening to uh, for the K-Cash Sounder. Should be ready to call in to claim 500 bucks. It's all from your home for the hookup, 98.7 FM, ESPN New York. 1-800-919-ESPN, 1-800-919-3776. When we last left the Yankee game, the Yankees had three runs. And the Yankees still have three runs. Just, uh, just updating you there. That's taken care of. All right, back to the phones. 1-800-919-ESPN is the telephone number. 1-800-919-3776. Seven six. Oh, before we do, um, somebody on uh, Twitter said, uh, "Yeah, well, the Yan- you, you, the Yankee fans are stupid, but you're the radio genius. The Yankees are analytics baseballs, a wet dream come true. Walks, home runs, and uh, so plus horrible fielding. I don't know what that means. So plus uh, horrible fielding. No, see, the problem is, is they're not getting walks and home runs, and they're not scoring runs. And I don't know. I think that that's actually an important aspect." I love how people are still having the argument about analytics. The team that's beating your pants off is based on analytics. There's a reason why they're successful is because they, they know the numbers better than anybody else, and they're able to exploit those numbers better than anybody else. And the te- Oh, yeah, by the way, the team that won the World Series last year is as big into analytics as you can be in the L.A. Dodgers. I, 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 don't, I, I understand you don't like the boogeyman, but maybe... I don't know. Know what you're talking about before you start running it down. It, it's pretty clear that there's, there, there's enough teams that are using analytics correctly and having success 
The, the, the Rays are not the most talented team, but they are a, a far superior team to just about everybody, including the Yankees. All right, let's go back to the phones. 1-800-919-ESPN is the uh, telephone number. Spike is in, uh, formerly of Jersey. That's how I like to refer to him. Spike, formerly of Jersey. You're next up on ESPN New York. You can call me anything I want. How about a single double and a home run in the bottom of the night? That'll straighten uh, everything out. Yeah, it would be great. Yeah. I don't think we're going to get it, Spike. And, you know, I tried to tempt fate I, today. Usually when I bet against the Yankees, that's when they win. They cost me money. And uh, I, I went to that well today, and it doesn't look like it's going to pay off. Well, we got three outs left. You know, I heard uh, all sorts of uh, a lot of Yankee fans uh, down here. Obviously, spring they play in the spring here, uh, spring training. They're not constructed right. Uh, they went cheap. Uh, they shouldn't have brought back. Look, look, Tampa Bay's record. If you take the Yankees out, is just about the same, I think. And a lot of, I'm looking at the standings. You know, we get up, we have our routines. You put the computer on. It seems everything's ass backwards. You know, all the, the teams, with the exception of the Dodgers, just taking a, a quick look at everything. It looks like maybe, you know, with everything that went on this year, it's going to take a little time to unwind. Or what you said is 100% correct. They, they took Odor, they took, brought back Gardner, batting him third. Hicks can't hit his way out of a paper bag left-handed. But you know how baseball is. It could change. I just thought the turning point of this game, if it doesn't turn around at the bottom of the ninth, and to get out of the top of the ninth was when they let him off the ropes. You know, they had him on the ropes. Yeah, Glassnow early on. Yep, absolutely. No, they did. Yeah. The first yeah. two innings, yeah. he, he was having trouble locating. He was uh, he was kind of all over the place, and uh, they had the bases loaded in the first inning. They, I think they had a couple guys on in the second inning. I'd have to go back and look. But, uh, yeah, they, they their, did. They the one-0 one pitch to Gardner. The one-0 pitch to Gardner looked outside, but, you know, you can't bitch about all that stuff. It's right. the way it is. Yeah, they Let can't hit the pitches out. in the strike either, But so. uh, you know how everybody is. i got to make a comment on Nick game last night, if you let sure. me. Look, it was <laughs> – you know how I love the Knicks. And you and I talked for years, and we waited. We finally got somewhere. Randall Stroke. How a guy who I watched for years and thought he was a, you know, I felt about him last year like we all did. But a guy that turned his game around, I know he had the little ankle or hip injury we talked about last week with Larry, but his stroke last night was so smooth. He looked like he was in a shooting drill on a training film. He was just moving around, and, and, and the ball was coming off his hand. I'm sure you noticed that. And Barrett does not play like a 20-year-old. He makes a rookie mistake. He goes, tries to bull his way in, but he's in big time. Uh, you know, it's it's a lot of fun because Thibodeau takes the best timeouts. He knows what to do. And let's not forget Derrick Rose. He's made a huge contribution to this team when he plays. He gets you instant points. He knows how to play the game. And the uh, last thing on this, and I hope the Yankees pull it out for all of us, last thing on this is, look, I'm not a big Mitchell Robinson fan. I, I know he's hurt, and I'm not knocking the young man. But this kid, Noel, has done pretty damn good. I'll tell you. They're not scoring at that position. Gibson will set the hardest screen in the league and not make many mistakes, but he's a backup, and that's fine. He's a typical guy. But this this guy, Noel's really can block shots, and he's athletic. That one and, block uh, last night was I, sensational. Oh, oh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Yeah. I think uh, I think the Knicks are going to finish a little higher than I originally thought, and wherever they finish. The season's been a success already. So let's hope for the bottom of the ninth here, my friend. Yeah, all right, Spike. Thanks for the call. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, that Nick win last night, that was about as good as you could get. Uh, and at least so far, I think that that's the high point of the season. You know, to have not won five games in a row, which is not uh, – it's not 12. It's not 13. To not have won five games in a row, that's the first time since 2014 
that kind of gives you that more than anything else lets you know of just how bad the Knicks seasons have gone. And to now be three games over 500 where you were at two games under and, and things seem like, you know, talking about having a lot of things to clean up. Julius Randle didn't look like the, the first half Julius Randle of the season. You start to question, you know, is it injury? Is it uh, that he was just kind of outperforming who he is as a player? So for him to come back from whatever was the, the problem during that little lull where it seemed like the season w- was going the wrong way and come back and play as he has, has been uh, a godsend, an absolute godsend. And last night, 44 points, 10 rebounds, and 7 assists on a night where you're facing off against, you know, Kristaps Porzingis, and, and you want that, you know, you want that win because it's important to you, but it, it's a, a little added bonus that you can get it against him in, at the same point. So, no, I mean, that was a huge performance last night, and to see now where the Knicks uh, have kind of turned things around, because i got to be honest, uh, I've always been kind of worried that when they got into this final 17 games of the season that things were going to start going in, in the wrong direction, right? Like they had proven they could beat the teams that they're supposed to beat, but they don't have many of those teams that they're supposed to beat left on the schedule. So I, I was a little worried, and now what are they sitting? Sixth. They're sixth, and right now they're a half game behind the Hawks, who are fourth, and a half game behind the Celtics, who are fifth. So, yeah, look, to me, the, the goal, the, the, the point, I don't know if I could say at this point the season is already a success. Get to a playoff series, even if it turns out it's, it, it doesn't go the way you want, that to me will be a success. For year one of a franchise that's kind of rebuilding and, and finding their way without making many changes, to me, making the playoffs in that first year, that's already a success. The play-in would be fine, but the playoffs, that would be a, a true sign. Because, again, the, the, the heavy lifting, the hard work, the, the main pieces that are going to have to be changed, uh, that's still to come. But you've gotten this year, you've seen what credible, uh, a credible head coach can do. You've seen that you have a, a franchise player in, in Julius Randle who is not just going to be the, the most improved player in the, in the sport, but should certainly be getting votes for MVP this year with the way he has carried this organization. I mean, again, we're sitting here with, what, 15 games to go? And the Knicks are right now the sixth team in the Eastern Conference. I'm not saying he's going to win MVP, but he certainly deserves MVP votes because, like, if it's just about who's the best player, okay, fine. But if it's about who's the most valuable to their team, it's hard to make the argument there are many players that are more valuable to their team than Julius Randle. Do the Yankees have a rally in their boats? Forget that, Michael K. Did the Yankees have any bones? Let's see if, uh, I mean, they have so many problems right now. Maybe that's where they start. Let's get some x-rays. And uh, x-rays actually on uh, Gary Sanchez's hand came back uh, negative. So uh, I guess it's just swelling for him. Uh, boy, oh, boy. The list of uh, issues surrounding the Yankees. They are uh, long, that's for sure. And the uh, list of, of losses is, is growing by the day. Now, they at least have Garrett Cole tomorrow. But again, if you're not going to score runs, I mean, the Yankees offense They've scored three today, which is almost like a, an offensive breakout game, considering how, how many hits did they have today? Four, five? Not many. It's not many, that's for sure. And you just take a look at the run totals, and you just take a I, – I don't understand how it could still be debated. Like the main problem with the team is that the offense has to start performing like the offense. If they do that, well, look, then at least you can have a fair 
judgment about whether or not this team, how it's built. But it seems completely ridiculous to me to say, well, you know, this team is built poorly when the, the main strength of the team is performing at probably the worst level we've seen in quite some, at least for, you know, what is it, 14 games? There's no, there, there's no way around the Yankees if they are going to score runs. Here, here you go. Today it's three runs. Yesterday it was two runs. Before that it was four runs. Three runs, three runs. They had an eight-run outburst against the, um, the Rays in that one game that they won in 10 innings. But before that, zero runs, three runs. I mean, that's, that's the issue. So for all the talk about, well, you know, this team is just, the way it's built is just terrible. Yeah, that's mainly because the offense looks as bad as it does right now. Now, when the offense, if and when it comes around, if they're not winning games then, if they're not playing like we expect them to play then, then I think you can have a fair criticism. But this is not the way that the offense is, um, is supposed to perform. And I think that that is just largely about the, the small sample size. Now, the offense can play better. And it might not be good enough to cover up all the other holes, right? Like if, if, if Garrett Cole is going to be the only starter that is, is going to get you into like the fifth inning and the defense is going to continue to kick it around like Glaber today allowed. I mean, he was responsible for one of those runs on the board based on the fact he could not catch the ball on a runner running to second throw was right there by Higashioka and he just didn't catch the ball. Like if there, there's a possibility that the offense won't be good enough to overcome all those glaring areas. But to say that the team, well, this team just stinks when they're hitting like this. Yeah, well, clearly they stink when they're hitting like this. All right, let's go back to the phones. 1-800-919-ESPN, 1-800-919-3776. John is in the car. John, what's going on, man? Hey, Gordon, I'm a big fan of yours. We missed you in the morning, like the oh. other caller said. Appreciate it, John. Thanks, man. And uh, I just want to make a comment how forever the Knicks just gave up after halftime. They came out strong, gave up, and it was terrible to watch. And the Yankees, they just plowed through everyone. Now it's the opposite. The Knicks don't go down without a fight. The, the Yankees look like they won the game before they even started and never really look like they want to win it at all. Yeah, no, absolutely. They seem like, happened. John, they have like a glass chin. Like the first two innings today, they had some guys on, didn't cash in then, and, and really, I mean, they have three runs, but uh, th there's been no point in this I game where you felt like they were going to get a rally going. Glasson does not have to give you second chances, and the fact that they had runners on the whole game and didn't cash in was painful to watch. But the Knicks, on the other hand, you cannot, you cannot give up on them before the end of the game. They will no. fight to the end. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, there have not been many man. games. I mean, I, I, Go ahead, John. I'm sorry. I, no, I'm sorry. No, I just said I, I work hard, just a lot, of, a lot of New Yorkers, and all I wanted to do is see the team compete. If they lose but they competed, you know what? You're not going to win everyone. But the other team's paid to beat you as well. But don't just show up and kick the ball around and swing at things in the dirt and let strikes go down the plate. I, I don't understand it. Yeah, I'm not really sure, John, and maybe, and thanks for the call. Uh, look, if this had happened, you know, the, the, every team is going to have some slumps in, in the course of a season. So if these 13 games happened in uh, July, it might not be so glaring. And the fact that it's the first 13, 14 games of the season makes it seem like the, uh, the world is ending. Uh, again, I think that uh, I'll say this. If the Yankee offense is not going to perform any better than this, all those other things don't matter. 
Like for all the talk about the defense and the pitching and, and the base running and, and everything, Baron Boone and, and Brian Cashman and all those type of things, if they're not going to hit any better than this over the long haul, there was no way to fix it if the, if the hitting is not going to hit. The Yankees are built. Their, their main strength is obviously power and, and scoring runs. Again, the last time we played 162 games, they led baseball in runs scored. Now you can complain about, how, oh, I don't want you know, all home runs. That's how teams score runs nowadays and even more so in the postseason. So you, let's get back to just scoring runs. However, and the Yankees do lose the game 6-3, so that's done. So now 5-9, and nine, right? 5-9. and nine. Uh, So now let the panic really begin. There's no way to fix the Yankees if the offense is not going to perform. If they're going to score three runs a game and they're not going to hit when they have guys on, when they don't have guys, you know, it's not like they had a whole bunch of hits and a whole bunch of opportunities you know, running hitters with runners in scoring position has not been the issue so much because they haven't had that many runners in scoring position. I'll take a look at the box score to see what it was today. They didn't have that many opportunities, and they had some early, did not cash in, and it's like a guy with the glass chain. You know, like the, the analogy I made before, the comparison I made before, they're like the guy that starts the diet on Monday. Monday, that's it. I'm going to start eating right. And then by Wednesday, they're, they're, they're in the this, this snack closet, right? They're, they're looking for the pretzels. They're looking for the chocolate because once, they don't, once it, it goes sideways early on and they're not able to uh, get a couple of runs, it's like inning after inning, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. All right, they were one for seven with runners in scoring position today. Again, they had five hits, five hits on the whole day. And, and on a day where you say, all right, Tyler Glass now, I mean, he's pretty good. He wasn't very good early. He, he, he pitched five innings. He gave up four walks in those five innings, and a couple of those, at least three of them, I think, were in the first two innings of the game. Then he settled down, and then he just, uh, you know, started striking guys out. So it is what, you know, you can point to Jordan Montgomery, who was not great, gave up a couple of home runs today, big blows there, which with the way the Yankees are scoring runs, they are just not able to overcome. Again, it's about the offense, stupid. That's what it's about. And, and until the Yankees start scoring runs, this is the way it's going to go. I mean, they're not built to win any. You know, they, they don't have a whole lot of ways to win games. You know, the Rays, give them credit. They are built to, they are, they are, their strength is their flexibility. They can, they can mix and match because they don't have, they're not looking to spend a big payroll, but they have flexibility at every position. They almost have different lineups based on the pitchers. They have different defenses based on the pitching. They have total flexibility. The Yankees are locked in to a lot of guys, but locked into a lot of guys who are historically good hitters. Historically good hitters. Not lately, not 14 games. I know, 14 games wipes out everything else. I knew this was going to happen. Let's go back to the phones. 1-800-919-ESPN. Danny is on Long Island. Danny, what's going on, my man? Oh, Gordon, I felt great. You know, I got up early, took a hike in the woods, did some yard work. My wife says, you know, we're going out for dinner tonight. I said, no problem. I sat down, turned the Yankee on, fell right to sleep. Yeah. Like a three-hour nap. Nothing happened to wake me up. It's like an ambient. The Yankees are like ambient. You just sit in front of the screen, and nothing happens, and you just fall asleep. And now here I am. I'm up. I'm ready to take a shower, watch the Mets go out for dinner. They, they really – it's the same thing over and over again, and we all know it as we're watching it that 3-1 is not insurmountable in baseball. But this That's team, for some is. reason – and we all know what it is. They have all these great stats they're inventing now. I was watching television the other day. My son was watching. I came in. And under the screen, a little banner, whatever you call that, said some Pittsburgh Pirate pitcher had tied the record for most highly high velo hits let up in one inning. I said, "What was? It? What did I just see?" Oh, we, but what we what we know, having watched baseball forever, is infield defense, 
timely hitting. You know, the Yankees have none of it. Last night, Paul O'Neill hit it on the nose. There was a when Sanchez struck out on an 0-2 pitch where he was swinging for the fences, and they were down a couple. And he said, you know, you gotta, you know, you're down five. You can't get them all back. And the next inning, the third baseman for Tampa, whose name escapes because of a middle-aged man with no more room for brain uh, data. Wendell? He was down 0-2. He was down 0-2, and he just stroked the ball into left center field like a tennis player dropping in the shot. And he said, that's the way you hit with two strikes. And then you got the Yankees throwing the ball away in the infield. There's just something missing. Now, it can change, but let's go. Let's be honest. A week from now, we're not 16 games in. We're going to be 25 games in. That's a good sample. When you get above yep. 10 to 15%, you, you are what you are, as we used to say. Now, it's baseball. It can change. It should have changed today because that young man for Tampa was not pitching well. He was not on his A game, and the Yankees didn't get him. And they, they allowed him to come back into the game until he had some kind of a hand at it. I mean, did you see that sequence when he cramped up? Yeah. I mean, well, you know, to me, Danny, even more troublesome is, is last night they were facing Waka for the second time this year. Waka, I, I felt like the first time they shouldn't have let him off the hook. And then last night they couldn't do anything against him either. They're just – I don't know what it necessarily is. Uh, there's no I know power to the Stanton lineup hits a, at yeah. There's no power Stanton to the hit another 400 – Four four hundred yeah, foot well, home run yesterday. Yeah, I mean that, yeah. <laughs> he hit a grand slam ten days right? ago. Yeah, right. They're down six nothing in the eighth. He hits a home run, eight nothing. Ten days ago, he hit a grand slam. Nothing in between. So I don't want to, don't prorate any stats and tell me that his twenty seven home runs and eighty are nothing. He, good pitching gets him out. They're not afraid of him. They don't have to pitch around him. He's never and 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 Hicks. He must have something on the manager that he's sitting yeah, in that spot that because everybody else gets that. Everybody else gets sat, but he's he's in the lineup every day. And Frazier, he's lost. He gets sat down. He's the whipping boy. But the other guys, somehow they can't they can't touch him. Yeah, Danny, and thanks for the call. You nailed that one on Hicks. I, I don't get. You can't have two things. You can't tell me that that lefty righty. It's just about good hitters, and then you're putting Aaron Hicks in the three hole, and he was back in the three hole today. I, I mean, <laughs> against another right hander where he does not hit right-handers. Now, he got a hit today. I don't remember who the hit came off of, but he's, he's now hitting 174 with an on-base of 255. That's your number three hitter. And, and he, he, he has no – I mean, I don't know why. I don't know if it's Tommy John surgery. He has no power whatsoever. No power whatsoever. Stanton, he's hit a couple of home runs that went a really long way, but no power whatsoever. Glaber Torres, for all the talk about – his, uh, his defensive issues, which have been well-documented, his bigger issue is his offensive issues. He has been a non-factor offensively, and that's your five-hitter. He's hitting 213. He's slugging 255. 255 from your fifth-place hitter. I mean, that's, it's no good. And you know what? Judge's numbers don't look that bad overall, but if you watch the games, you know day in and day out, there are opportunities for him to come through with a big base hit, and he has not been able to do so. And they just flash a stat on the uh, screen. The Yankees' average, their batting average against the Rays in this series is 180, and their ERA is 552. Hard to believe they're not winning many games. Now back to the Gordon Damer Show on 98.7 ESPN. You know what? I think I'm done with the Yankees for the day. 
you know, we're like a third of the way through the show, and it would be a fitting time to be done with the Yankees because, like, when you get a third of the way through a Yankee game, they're generally done. Now, they scored some runs late today, but uh, it still ended up the same thing, another loss to the race. So uh, I think we're done. I mean, look, if you want to talk about them, well, you know, we'll, we'll do it at 1-800-919-ESPN. But let's, uh, let's focus on the Knicks because last night they get the win over the Mavericks, 117 to 109. And obviously everything that's been said about Julius Randle and how great he has been and, and kind of how he's gotten back to being that guy. Like last night, 44 points. But, you know, he had that little bit of a lull where I think he was dealing with some sort of some issue with his thigh or his leg, and he just didn't seem like the same guy, and that kind of corresponded with losing five of six, and you're, you're starting to think, uh-oh, you know, we all know about the schedule, the second half, and especially the final 17 games. Is this now going to fade in, in the wrong direction? Last week, that's what I think we were focusing on a lot with the Knicks about, you know, where are they going to end up? Where are they going to wind up? And I said at the time, well, the good news was that the floor was still very safe because just based on the teams that are competing in the Eastern Conference this year, it would be very, very hard for with the play-in for the Knicks not to be at least part of the play-in just based on math because, you know, you have the bottom teams in the Eastern Conference that are not, I don't even think it's really competing but if you're talking about 9 and 10, the Pacers and the Raptors, uh, below that is the Bulls, the Wizards, you know, like all of those teams, they're well, I mean, 12, 13 games under 500. So as long as the Knicks could kind of remain at break even, they were going to be fine. But, you know, after the, the highs of this season and the expectations that have changed clearly based on how they've played, you can't just be content to say, well, you know, we made the play-in when nobody else was really trying for the play-in. Like a lot of the teams in the Eastern Conference, the Cavaliers aren't trying, the Magic aren't trying, the Pistons aren't trying, the Raptors, I mean, I guess you could say they're trying, but as an organization, they made trades to that actually hurt the now for the future before the trade deadline. So just simply making the play-in when a lot of the other teams are not really even trying for the play-in, I don't know that that necessarily would have been all that much to crow about, even as much of a, um, uh, you know, it, it exceeded the expectations for the next season. You know, I think coming into the next season, it was a fair expectation of maybe 25 wins. The, the talent didn't change all that much. The only thing that really changed was the head coach. And you see what a difference having a credible head coach has made. Having a credible front office has made, having a credible coaching staff has made because the Knicks come out night in and night out. And how many years have we been begging for the Knicks just to simply have a team that shows heart and, and tries and cares and, and doesn't show up and just kind of lollygag it for the first half of the game? They come out every single night and you kind of know what to expect. So to get the win last night against the Mavericks was great. And you know what's also great? It's, it's great that it's almost like to get that win. I don't get the feeling like Nick fans were like shocked by it or surprised by it. And that to me says something about where this team has, has come from already this year and kind of what your expectations are moving forward, you know, for the Mavericks. And look, it's Porzingis and you always want to beat Porzingis because of the way things went down there and, and the Porzingis trade, which look, even by winning last night, the Knicks, I'm sorry, Nick fans, you still don't win the Porzingis trade. That, that trade, you got back basically nothing. Uh, so you didn't win the, the trade, but I'll say this. I think it's pretty clear. It, it's not a result of the trade, but you got the better player. 
right? Like if you were to start a franchise right now, I don't think there's many people who would take Kristaps Porzingis over Julius Randle. Certainly not at their current salaries, I'll tell you that much. So that, that's where you can take, um, take solace. And that, yes, the, the trade was a bad trade, but it has not turned out to be nearly as catastrophic as maybe it seemed at the time. And, and an organization which has been lost in the wilderness for so long to go out and get a win, get their fifth win in a row for the first time in, what is it, six years, and do so, again, this is not against the, the, the weakest teams in the NBA. The Knicks are beating some, some pretty good teams. You know, the Mavericks are a pretty good team. They're, you know, they're not, uh, you know, 12 wins on the season or anything like that. They're an above 500 team out West. That's a good win to get on the road. The, the Pelicans, even though they're below 500, that's a pretty good win to get on the road. The Grizzlies win, good win to get on the road. Now the Lakers didn't have, uh, obviously the, the two big players there in LeBron and Anthony Davis, but still to be able to get that win and follow up the, 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 what was it? Five of six losses and, and, and seemingly like the season was pointed in the right, uh, in the wrong direction to get these things kind of turned around. And after grinding through so much of the season, this was the time where you, you'd have to be concerned, right? Like the long grind of a season, all these minutes played, if you were going to hit the wall, this was probably a time where it would seem reasonable that a team would hit the wall. But that has not been the case. They've now won five in a row. And now, all of a sudden, that, that dream, which I still think is probably an, an over-expectation, but the dream of, of not even being part of the play-in, just being entering the playoffs as one of the top six in the Eastern Conference, seems very reasonable again. Now, it, that might be getting a little carried away because, again, the schedule has not changed. The schedule down the stretch is still very, very difficult. And that, what is it, six-game road trip that they have against the Rockets and against Denver and Phoenix and, and both L.A. teams, that's not going to be easy. But boy, oh boy, what a fun season. When was the last time we have gotten to April and you could use the term fun to describe anything with the New York Knicks that is not in the future? Like, when you're in April, yeah, it would be fair to use the word fun when you're thinking of, oh, you know, the offseason, it might be fun this year. The lottery, that might be fun. But we're talking about the here and now with the Knicks, and you can actually use the term fun based on how they've played and, and the work that they've done so far this year. And it has been an amazing season already so far and one that is not done. But at least so far, I would think you'd have to say at this point, at this point, this is the high point of the next season, and you're hoping it's going to get a lot better than that. And a little bit more. Already down. One more hour to go. Now, good news, people. The good news, well, the good news is not that the Yankees lost. No, the Yankees did lose the Rays, but I have been told by the staff at the station that we will soon have Aaron Boone sound to explain what happened team so if you're looking for some answers and we're all looking for some answers I guess the guy we go to would be the manager of the team right so we'll see in a little bit not right now we'll we'll have some little more discourse here on the, the Knicks and, and everything else and we got to get into the NFL draft but uh, don't worry Nick, uh, Yankee fans very soon we will get some of the answers that we n desperately need for the Yankee manager 
1-800-919-ESPN, 1-800-919-3776. We'll see how many of those answers I can hear in a row before telling the station I cannot hear anymore. But let's go back to the phones, shall we? Let's go to uh, Rick is in Harlem. Rick, what's going on, my man? Gordon, what's going on, man? Good afternoon. Good evening, rather. Listen, I have to disagree with you about you saying the Knicks got absolutely nothing back for Porzingis. Oh, I didn't say they didn't got anything back. I just say they didn't win the trade. Oh, okay, because I was going to say the last time the Knicks ever had anybody's draft picks, first-round draft picks, I never could recall in the 40 years of my life. <laughs> so yeah. the Knicks, to me, the Knicks, they didn't win, but they didn't lose because they got two first-round draft picks, whether it be in the in the 20s or the mid-teens. It's all good, man. The Knicks are going to get two draft picks this year. They're playing good. Knicks are on the, they're trending up, man. They're trending well, up. Look, Rick, you're not going to get any argument from me, and, and thanks for the phone call, that uh, the Knicks are trending in the right direction, and you're not going to get any argument from me about who I would rather have, Randall or Porzingis. I was just simply bringing up the point about uh, the, uh, the trade that the Knicks did not win. You know, like when Knicks fans have been so desperate to kind of have something on Porzingis, because not only are they dealing with Porzingis leaving the Knicks and all the, you know, the, the stories that get recycled about how toxic the Knicks are this and the, the Knicks are toxic that way. So when he got dealt away, that just kind of, and at, at the time, the team was, was really, really bad. So, and it allows all the, the bad actors to kind of, all the Nick haters out there to kind of pile on again, bring up all the same points, you know, pull all the, the low-hanging fruit. But that does not mean that uh, the Knicks won that trade. No, they, 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 there's nothing they can do to go back in time now. Now, things have turned around as a result of that, and that trade was not catastrophic as it, as it was portrayed at the time, right? You, oh, you lost Porzingis. But they got a couple of draft picks, and one of them was Emmanuel Quickly, who's turned out to be a nice player. But the way you, you win a trade or, or you don't was if you had to do it over again, could you have gotten much more for Kristaps Porzingis? And imagine how well the Knicks could have been if they had shopped him around and been able to get a far better package back for him. They got Dennis Smith Jr., who's turned, you know, for the Knicks, turned out to be really nothing. DeAndre Jordan. Uh, they got a couple of first-round picks, one of which turned out to be Emmanuel Quickly, right? So that was nice. But uh, in terms of, uh, of a package for a guy who back then you clearly could have gotten more for. So uh, that's the why, you know, even as good as things have turned around, absolutely, the Knicks uh, look like they're, they're moving in the right direction. Think about how much further along they would be if they had gotten, you know, they made that trade, I think, with the intention of clearing out cap space and being able to, to go out and, and thinking that they had some inside information to be able to land some guys in free agency, which they didn't land. So they basically turned their best player at the time into available cap space. That doesn't really, that's, not, that's generally not a good way to go about uh, using uh, your resources. But uh, in, in terms of the Knicks, you, you got to feel good, man. And I think that that's the biggest thing that I took away from last night's game was that, A, it was not just a win. It was kind of a ho-hum performance, right? Like as great as Randall was, you almost kind of expect these kind of things now from him. And to go into Dallas and be able to beat a team that's competing out West for, for a playoff spot and all these type of things, they're trying to avoid the play-in, right? Like, it, it's no surprise that uh, Mark Cuban 
came out during the week saying, well, you know, I don't like the, the play. Really? You don't like the play-in? Yeah, that might be because you're part of the play-in. Right now, the Mavericks are the seventh uh, seed in the uh, West. So, and at least right now, nine is the Warriors and 10 are the Spurs and the Pelicans are not far behind. So yeah, of course, you don't want to be part of a play-in if you're like the Mavericks and you already are at seven and it doesn't seem like you have much room to move up. It seems pretty clear right now that the Mavericks almost certainly will be uh, part of the, uh, the play-in out West. So look, if you want to get in on the Knicks, that's uh, it's your right. 1-800-919-ESPN, 1-800-919-3776. But what I think the best thing that you could say about the Nick win last night was just what a kind of a whole hum performance it was. It was like to be expected. Julius Randle's performance was to be expected. The defense, the way it performed down the stretch is to be expected. And to think about that, it's not just great. That the Knicks are able to pull off these wins here and there, but they've done so at such a clip that you're starting to you know, kind of expect good things to happen with the Knicks. That has not happened in a very, very long time. 1-800-919-ESPN is the telephone number, 1-800-919-3776. Let's get into the NFL draft because it is 12 days away, and I got to tell you, people, if I use any more of these mock draft simulators, my eyes are just going to start ble- I am running these things. Run it again. Run it again. Um, well, look, I, as I said during the week, we kind of know. How I think we can lock in the first six picks in the NFL draft. Can, can I say that? I think I can. Because it's been clear for forever, obviously Trevor Lawrence is going to be the first pick. It's been clear for forever. Despite the, the Jet fans who seemingly call me on Saturday, I don't know what, maybe they've finally come over to the right side. They've seen the error of their ways. The second pick is obviously going to be Zach Wilson. The, the real interesting part of the draft happens with the third pick and maybe over the next 12 days we get more clarification but at one point it seemed clear it was going to be mac jones and now at least some of the betting websites have justin fields as the number three pick we know it's going to be a quarterback from the moment they moved up from 12 to 3 there was no question they were doing so to get a quarterback it was just going to be which one it was going to be and and the fact that it seemed like for a time you know nfl insiders saying that it was going to be mac jones that was very surprising because that did not seem like a guy that was going to go that high in the draft. Justin Fields, that makes sense. When the draft, even before the draft process began, it, it seemed like that the conversation was going to be, well, you know, if the Jets don't get one, they'll be at two and they'll get Justin Fields, who has performed at a very high level in college football year in and year out. Well, at least the last couple of years. I don't know, but year in and year out. Maybe that's an overstatement. But then all of a sudden, Zach Wilson's star rose. And then you thought, all right, well, well, Justin Fields will simply go number three to somebody. And then all of a sudden the rumors and the, the questions about processing and his arm and uh, his, uh, his accuracy and, and whether or not it's big-time accuracy. And it seemed like, okay, maybe he's not going to go number three. But now it seems like that would be the move you would make that would make more sense to, to move up to three to get a guy like Justin Fields who projects. Now, I don't know that he's going to turn out to be what they expect, like, when was the last time that quarterbacks went one, two, and three, and the third guy was the best guy of the three? I don't know. I mean, you would think that if he were going to be the best guy, he would probably go one, and if not one, certainly two. But I, I would think that it, it's, it's clearly going to be between Mac Jones and Justin Fields. It still seems like for most that Mac Jones, like the NFL insiders seem to think that Mac Jones is still going to be the third guy. But we got 12 days to find that out. So however it's going to go, it's going to be a quarterback at three. And I don't really think that it will impact 
picks four, five, and six. Picks four, five, and six to me are locked in. If you're the Falcons, unless you can find someone who is willing to trade up to move to number four. Now, I think it would, it would play better if Mac Jones goes three because maybe there would be a team out there that sees Justin Fields and says, well, look at the tools this guy has. Look at the side. This guy is a prototypical player that we could go and get at number four. So it's worth to, to pay the ransom that it would be to move up to number four to get him. And you're talking about picks this year. You're talking about picks next year. And there's not that many teams that would seemingly be in the market for a quarterback to move up, right? Like Carolina has already, I know they can say that they, they, they're not going to, um, they're not going to rule out a quarterback at eight, but that doesn't mean that they're going to move up to four to get him and give up picks this year and next year to do so. So if Mac Jones does go number three, at least it leaves open the possibility someone does move up to the Falcons. But I think at this point, 12 days away, the Falcons, if they're going to stay in their spot, and they're in a tough spot because they got an aging quarterback who's 35 years old. So taking a quarterback there, I don't know necessarily that that's the way they're going to go. I think they're going to go the sure thing. And the sure thing, if you're talking about it, number four is Kyle Pitts. So the tight end is going to go number four. Number five, the Bengals. I, I, I would be shocked if they did not go Jamar Chase when you have the ability to add a playmaker at wide receiver who many have as the number one wide receiver in the draft and a guy who played with your quarterback and had unbelievable success for all the talk about, well, they need to improve the offensive line. They have to do this about their offensive line. They got to protect their quarterback. Well, the problem is, is their offensive line, their best position on the F, their left tackle was drafted number 11 last year, and he's 23 years old. The problem is you need the other four guys. It's not just the one. The one guy is okay. The other four guys are dreadful. And either Penny Sewell or Slater, I don't know necessarily that you would take him there and then play either him out of position or the kid they drafted last year out of position. I think that that work has to happen later on in the draft. And if you have the fifth pick, it's about getting elite talent, and Jamar Chase is elite talent. So that's the way I think that the top five go. And then at number six, uh, I think that clearly the Dolphins are going to go with the Devontae Smith. They want to surround the, the, the scuttlebutt has been they want to surround Tua with weapons and weapons that he is comfortable with. And it would be hard, be hard pressed to find someone who he'd be more comfortable with than someone he has already thrown passes to in his collegiate career. Now, I guess it's possible they could go uh, Waddle, but it seems like by all accounts that Waddle will probably go after Smith and um, that, that they're very close in terms of talent. But I think that Smith is going to go six, and I would not be surprised that if the Dolphins stay at 18 and don't move down, that Najee Harris is another Alabama player that they target because that seems like that's the way that they're going to go, that they're going to be all in on Tua. They have the, the uh, draft ammunition if they want to move on from Tua after this upcoming year or certainly in two years. But uh, in terms of this year, they are on board with Tua. They're not going to be drafting a quarterback. So now it has to be about surrounding him with weapons and weapons that he's comfortable with. So number six is going to be Devontae Smith. And I don't see any way that it doesn't go that way. One, two, three, four, five, and six. And I know generally there's been plenty of times in the you, you take a look at mock drafts, and if they have four picks right by the end of the first round, that's a lot. It seems like this year, maybe it's the amount of time that I've spent uh, reading all this thing and that thing and mock draft simulators and everything else, it seems like one through six is pretty clear cut. Pretty clear cut. 1-800-919-ESPN is the telephone number. 1-800-919-3776. Let's go out to uh, Chris. Chris is in Rockaway. Chris, what's going on, man? Hey, how's it going? So uh, I had two questions. I'll try to get them in super quick. One with the Jets. 
we've always had success with kind of those veteran quarterbacks like Testa Verde, uh, Brett Favre, even Mangini ruined him. I just didn't understand the pressure to get rid of Sam this year. Zach Wilson, it seems like the 49ers, the Dolphins, they're all playing around with the Jets and making trades with one another, and we're going to get stuck with this guy. Um, I just don't know why we felt all this pressure when we saw all the, the carousel that happened with available quarterbacks uh, this year. Why don't we think the same thing will happen next year? Second quick question was about, has any manager called out, like Rojas, uh, the Mets, about not winning when DeGrom's out there, putting the pressure on the team? So I know two different topics, but I just Has don't understand the pressure. Why we need that? Yeah, the team, because, one? I mean, over the last two years, I mean, mm-hmm. I think they've been 27 and 39. He has yeah, a they, have, they have a losing record with uh, DeGrom on the mat. Well, I mean, I don't necessarily think it's anything that the manager's doing. It's just that for whatever reason, the offense does not perform when Jacob DeGrom is pitching. I, I don't know really – I mean, it's not like he's putting out some wacky lineup or something like that. I don't necessarily that um, that it's his fault. But, but going think, to I mean, bullpen sometimes, maybe a little early, could be an issue. But um, you know, more times. Well, than not, not even not saying that it's Rojas's fault, but just mm-hmm. like expectations for for the team. Like, we, if we have any chance of success, we need to win those. And I think sometimes you need to call out the team as a technique, and it's not saying he's doing anything wrong, but this needs to stop. It's getting out of control where. We've all become lackadaisical. We have one of the best generational pitchers out there. And we're kind of like, yeah, we expect to probably lose one nothing or 2-1. Wow. And it's, it's I don't know. Yeah, I'm I, sorry. I but the main thing was about the Jets as well. So sorry for all right, Chris. going oh, on the, the Jets. Thanks for the phone call, Chris. Um, I would say the reason why there was the pressure this year is because this is the year you have the second pick in the draft. Right? Like, you're hoping, and this is a great quarterback draft. Now, look, you could – we've been saying this forever – there was an appeal to taking that second pick, keeping Sam as the quarterback, trading down, stockpiling more picks. You can never have enough, and any general manager would always want to have more. And we've seen with the Niners trade and the appeal of the quarterbacks this year, if the Jets had decided that they were open for business at number two, they could have brought back a real haul. But then you would have Sam, who by all accounts has not, I mean, we've gone down this road a thousand times, did not play well and is coming off his worst season as a pro. So there was some optimism after year one with the way he closed the season, but years two and three, it seemed like there was a regression and certainly, if not a regression, certainly making a lot of the same mistakes that he had made previously. So when you have the second pick in the draft and there are quarterbacks that you love and at least one that you love, you got to go out and get that guy. And by the fact that the Jets are going to select Zach Wilson, number two, you got to assume they absolutely love him and think he's going to be an absolute star. So that's why that there was that pressure this year. Now, you're hoping to never be, or at least not be in this position again very soon. You know, the Jets, it seems like for a while now, have been picking at the top of the draft. This is not the way it's supposed to be. You're not supposed to have top five picks year in and year out. You're supposed to be getting better. But the fact is that the Jets now have the longest playoff drought in the sport in 10 years. And next year, probably be 11th. And only one time during those, that span have they even been really remotely close to the playoffs that first year with, uh, with Bowles. So that's why there was the pressure to, to go get a quarterback this year because they, they like, and I would have to say love, Zach Wilson, but they also didn't feel comfortable with, the, with the betting their future on Sam Darnold. Let's go to uh, John is in Washington. John, what's going on? Hi. Uh, I'm calling because I heard a lot of talk about the statements that Trevor Lawrence made, his sister made, his, her, his father made. I wonder if that's a setup because he doesn't want to go and play with, in Florida. 
Well, John, he's going to have to say a whole lot more than that to not play in Jacksonville. <laughs> if he thinks those comments are going to get him out of playing with the Jaguars, I think he's, uh, he's sadly mistaken. You know, you just wonder why would they say them knowing I don't know. it's going to be on the news. You yeah, know? I mean, look, I mean, that's, you know, and the, the, the story that John's talking about is in Sports Illustrated, which the, the headline is that Trevor Lawrence enters the NFL with nothing to prove and uh, that he doesn't come in with a huge chip in his, on his shoulder and that uh, there's more to his life than playing football and he could walk away from football tomorrow and be fine. Um, I'll be honest with you, if I were a Jacksonville Jaguar fan, that is not what I want to hear. Now, he's so great that people aren't going to have uh, – you know, take a lot of that and, and think that he's not going to still be great. But the reaction of, well, you know, if Justin Fields said that, it would be an issue. I think it should be an issue that, that Lawrence said it. I got to be honest. Yeah, I do. And I just wonder if it was a setup so someone else would take him. I don't know. I don't know, John. I, I would, uh, Look, I, I'll say this. I, I don't think that it. he would have to say a whole lot more than that. He would have to say, I hate Jacksonville. And even then, they probably would still take him because he's, he's that great of a player. But, you know, the fact that stories from unnamed sources with, 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 uh, with quotes about fields got more traction than on-the-record quotes from Trevor Lawrence and people in his camp I got to admit that is a it is a little wild and it's all well and good like that just shows you how great of a player he is that most people are not making a big issue out of it. Most people are oh, well, you don't have to you know you know he's still great. He doesn't have to he doesn't have to you know I don't even know what. Uh it's great that he's this well-adjusted mature young man who has his priorities set and and seems um set on having a happy and satisfying life. <laughs> That's not what I want from my football players. It might make me look like an idiot for saying that, but I I want my super my franchise superstar to be the crazy psycho, singularly focused on winning all the time. The Brady, the the Jordan, the Manning, I, because so far Trevor Lawrence's life has been I'm not going to say easy, but he's been the most talented guy every step along the way. And that's not to say that he hasn't worked hard so far. But I'm telling you right now, he's going to encounter far more difficulty in the next step of his life than he has in the previous steps of his life. And how he reacts to that and how he adjusts to that, I, I want someone who concocts any uh, slight that can, can be concocted to motivate himself and to, to push himself to be greater than even we think he could be. And we all think that he's going to be amazing. 1-800-919-ESPN is the telephone number, 1-800-919-3776. Good news, people. Coming up, we'll get some answers about what's going on with the Yankees from Aaron Boone. Don't you feel better? We'll do that next. 98.7 FM, ESPN New York. Now back to the Gordon Damer Show on 98.7 ESPN. Whenever possible. So I play side two of Zeppelin 4, which this is not. This is Cashmere on there little known fact about fast times at Ridgemont High hey it's Gordon Damer it's 98.7 FM ESPN New York Mets are underway as they play game one of their uh, doubleheader against the Rockies and are at least threatening threatening to possibly score a run for Jacob deGrom in the first inning oh just as I say that they're out uh so no deGrom he'll get his one run at some point here and he'll just can he make that stand up we'll find out 
Uh, but uh, we've been talking about the NFL draft. We've been talking about, of course, uh, the Yankees and their struggles. Do we have some Aaron Boone sound? Give me some sound about Aaron Boone talking about the, uh, the hitting. Do you have one? Because we need some answers. And the only person we could yes. possibly talk, turn to is Aaron Boone. Let's hear some Aaron Boone about what's going on with the hitting, Aaron. It's a tough game. Hitting's a tough game, especially more so now than ever. And I think when you add in the start of the season and, and you want to get rolling, you know, as a team, but also individually, you want to just kind of get settled in. And, um, you know, you do have to guard against, mm -hmm. you know, trying so hard or wanting yeah. it so bad. You know, there's mm -hmm. there's that fine line between really, really being focused, really being locked in, really wanting it, but also, you know, going and playing and and not necessarily chasing the result because you, you drive yourself crazy there. It's it's yeah. go have a quality at bat. And mm -hmm. usually the results over time will follow when you're a talented player. Uh -huh. Okay. That's does anybody feel satisfied now? No. All right. We'll get the. Well, let's hear some more from uh, the the Yankee manager. Uh, the Yankees certainly seem like uh, they the Rays. Forget about Hal Steinbrenner. It seems like the Rays kind of owned the Yankees. Aaron Boone. What about it? No, we just need to play better. I mean, they're a really good team over there. That's kind of kicked our butts here the last couple of years, and and you know we got to do a better job of. Um, of you know closing out some games when we have a chance obviously they've been a team that's very good at, at limiting runs um the last couple of years and you know they've you know today yeah. you know it was pretty evenly I matched game but they hit a few balls in the seats when they got their mistakes they put them in the seats today and mm -hmm. um you know hopefully we can start to turn that tide tomorrow wow let's let's hope so right they, and the Rays hit home runs, but I, I heard that trying to hit home runs, that's the wrong approach. But yet you're telling me that the Rays are really good and that they hit home runs. I, he's not telling me that. Other people tell me that. Uh, what about Glaber Torres, uh, Aaron Boone? Why has he been so bad? I, I have not seen a replay of it. I mean, it's one of those where, you know, Glaber's, Glaber's one of those guys that's really good with that kind of quick tag. You know, you think of Javi Baez. Glaber's kind of like that where he can, you know <clears> – <throat> He's just got good body control with that. So it's it's a tough bang-bang play. I thought Higgy did a good job on a, on a pitch down where Margot got a pretty good jump. Um, so I, I, I haven't seen the replay of it yet, or to, you know, but it's a tough bang-bang play either way. It was catching the ball. It, it really wasn't. Um, the throw from Higashioka was actually perfect. I thought that was going to be on Glaber's hitting, which it seems like everybody's kind of forgotten. He used to be a really good hitter and now is not much like uh, a lot of the Yankee hitters, but uh, that was on the play uh, at second base on a stolen base attempt uh, that the throw from Higashioka was perfect. All Glaber had to do was catch the ball and uh, he did not. He did not. All right, let's go back to the phones. 1-800-919-ESPN is the uh, telephone number. 1-800-919-3776. And just, to, you know, because we've already nailed now down what the, the Jets are going to do at number two, uh, they obviously have that second pick in the uh, the opening round but since it's down where is it 23 it's going to be kind of tough to to know where direction and i've seen a lot you know they they should take uh, uh a lot of, of talk about the running backs between uh, Najee harris and uh, javante williams and all these guys um that would be the wrong way even though the jets have a long list of of, of questions and, and and areas that they have to fill 
the area where they have to look without knowing who's going to be available when they pick at 23, there's four areas that NFL teams spend money on. And I would say it's one of those four areas. It's quarterback. Okay, so you have the quarterback at two, so you're not going to get another quarterback at 23. Left tackle, they seemingly already have one of those. Okay, so check that off the list. And then it would be shutdown corner or pass rusher. Now, the Jets have signed a pass rusher this offseason in Lawson, but you know what? You could, and they have Quinton Williams, who's, who's very, very good. You could kind of always use more of those. And I would not be surprised that at uh, 23, that that is the area pass rusher where the Jets kind of target. But kind of tough to know that without knowing who's going to be available there. All right, let's go back to the phones. 1-800-919-ESPN, 1-800-919-3776. Yankee fans can feel better. They've, they've heard from the Yankee manager now. So let's go out to uh, Sam as in uh, Rockland. Sam, what's going on, pal? Hey, Gordon. Uh, you know, it's, it can be just one thing where the injuries have just caught up with the Yankees finally. But as, they're not hurt. As, as, they're not hurt. Know, the only you know, guy Luke that's Lord, hurt right Luke, now Luke is, uh, is, is Britton, who's out of the bullpen, but the bullpen has been good, and, and uh, Luke Voigt. Yeah, well, Luke Voigt is a big part of the team, and oh, I think on. it could they, be, they gotta be able to score a situation. Yeah, well, I think it could be a situation where it's just not enough speed, not enough energy in the team, and a rebuild of small proportions is not out of the question. I mean, it's not the biggest thing in the world. The Red Sox have done it. They got rid of Mookie Betts, best player in the baseball. And, you know, it could be another thing where we don't need power, power, power all the time. We may need to play small ball with players down the road, which are just better baseball players, not just power and, you know, a good glove here and there. Sam, they're not going to – this idea – Sam, thanks for the phone call. The idea that they're going to rebuild behind uh, small ball, that's that's not going to happen. That shouldn't happen. And you certainly don't – I'll tell you this right now, just for for 2021. If the Yankees are not able to hit, they're doomed. There's nothing to be – there's no trade to make. There's no move to make. There's nobody to call up. If this is the way the Yankees are going to hit, which I think everybody should, if they have reason in their brain, know that this is not the way they're going to play over 162 games. But if it is, well, then guess what, my friend? The season is already over. Nobody, no team, I don't care about pitching. And, I mean, this, this is idea of, of we're going to get back to small, but they don't have, they've already bunted more times this year than they did all of last year. I think they've already bunted more this year than they did all of, uh, of the previous year, 2019, when they led baseball in runs scored. They just simply, ha- I don't know how you do it, but you have to get your guys back to performing as they should. They have not done that so far. I don't know the reason why. No one knows. It's, it's just the, you just chalk it up to baseball, but that's what they have to do. They don't need, they don't need a rebuild. I mean, if, if you are preaching rebuild 13 games or 14 games into the season, boy, that's going to be a long year. A long time before you, you're not going to rebuild during the, uh, the, the regular season, which again has just begun. Let's go to Simon in New Haven. Simon, what's going on, buddy? Simon? I've been saying it all along. Okay. First of all, this lack of hitting has got to stop. I mean, yes. we're a ping pong team. I mean, particularly with that buffoon Gardner. I mean, the base is all he, all he does is ground down and pop up here. I mean, this lack of hitting, it, 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 it's like watching the Mets. The same thing. 
Yeah, oh, I mean, come on, Boone doesn't know how to manage. And, 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 and Hicks is not a number three hitter. I'm sorry. No, he's not. I'm just saying, sometimes he has a tendency to make the lineup, but Hicks is not a number three. He's a number six. The number three hitter should be the key man. Well, you would think certainly somebody better than uh, hitting 174 and 077 against right-handers. Yeah, I would, I would agree with you there. Aaron, I, I mean, look, I mean yeah, Gordon, can't have Aaron Hicks don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong, but, you know, these pitchers need some respect and run support. Not, I mean, by the time the pitcher sits down, he has to get back up because the rally killer of the team hits it to a double play. And if you don't score those runs, even John Sterling could, you can't give the team extra outs. And that's what the Yankees can do. If, if Boone would understand this, he doesn't understand no he, no, he understands it, but there's not anything he can do about it. How, how, I mean, how can I mean, Aaron Boone get Giancarlo Stanton to hit or, or, or Aaron Judge to come up with a, with a big hit or – or DJ LeMahieu, who has kind of turned things around a little bit, or Glaber Torres. Uh, LeMahieu and Judge uh, uh, is a gift from God. I love him. I love yeah. the Judge. Well, he's not, he, the but, Judge but, has but, been but, uh, but you, pretty but you, but you know what? Let me, so let me tell you about, about Boone. For a minute. But he treats these pitchers shamefully. Can I give you an example? Yeah, sure. Why not? Well, you remember last year with that Garcia guy in the playoffs? I mean, here's a guy that was an who's excited ball. about pitching. Yeah. All right. Here's a guy who's exciting about pitching, right? Mm-hmm. And then what happens? He takes him out after one inning. I mean, either you want this guy to pitch or don't pitch him. I mean, it's like it's like a child yeah. with a well, toy. Look was, at this that was, that, was a front, that was a front office thing. That was an analytics uh, team thing where they thought, you know what? Uh, let's let's kind of outdo the Rays at the Rays own game and too smart for the room. Well, look, you know, that's another. If you want a fair criticism of Aaron uh, of, of uh, Brian Cashman, that that's one you could have is that, you know, Brian Cashman likes to think and likes to portray that the Yankees, you know, with their analytics department and their numbers, they know this and they know that. The, the, the list of teams that have been doing the business of baseball smarter than the Yankees is growing by the year, right? Like, it's one thing to, to point at the Rays. I mean, the Rays have been better at the, the small things and, and reading the numbers and knowing what the numbers actually mean and, and taking some – you know, odd pieces and fitting them into a lineup or a bullpen and being able to extract value from those guys better than just about anybody. But it be it the, the Rays, be it the Dodgers, be it the Red Sox a couple of years ago, be it the Astros a few years ago. Um, the, the list of teams that are able to get more with less is growing, and the Yankees are getting less with more, if that makes sense. <laughs> about solving problems people that's what we do that's what i do yes brian johnson that's what i do i solve problems so we've already uh cured the uh, yankees issues and uh, problems today and we did a lot of that by just listening to the yankee manager he's gonna he's gonna put you in the in the right position people don't worry it's all gonna be refined aaron boone is uh is, is on it they are on it and i i don't know it just kind of frustrates me when people bring up points that yeah the yankees got to stop grounding into double plays Wait a second. Grounding into double play. Yeah, you know what? You got a good point. Get the Yankees on the phone. Can somebody touch base with the Yankees and let them know to stop hitting into double plays? They got to hit more home runs. Yeah, hit more, more, more home runs. That would actually be good. I don't know how to make that happen. I know how the players on the team generally perform, and they have not performed like that so far. And I'm assuming that that is... Some guys seem like they're pressing, clearly, right? Like, Judge seems like he's pressing. Glaber Torres, 
Glaber Torres is sw- I mean, he looks like Jeff Bagwell swinging out of his. He's like me on the golf course where I feel like I have to hit it like five. I'm like happy Gilmoreing it, you know? He's swinging from his rear end. So a lot of these guys are pressing right now. And at some point, they have to get this thing turned around. The only problem is they got to get it turned around here relatively quickly because the schedule is not getting all that much better. They're not going to, they don't have all these injuries to deal with. And, and history shows you that the Yankees are a brittle team. So I'm sure at some point the injuries will begin. And you don't want to start to dig yourself a hole that's so great is going to take you a month of playing excellent baseball to dig your way out of. You know, for all the problems of the Yankee offense, th- that offense, again, might not be good enough to overcome all the other flaws of the team, defense, starting pitching, and, and base running. So th- there's a lot of work to do, but uh, and they got to get it turned around here quickly. It's nice that Garrett Cole, at least, is on the mound tomorrow. Problem is, he doesn't hit. And unless the Yankees start hitting, it's going to be hard to win games. 1-800-919-ESPN is the telephone number. Now, we actually have the benefit on this show of having a, uh, a person who has uh, gone viral. I don't know if you've heard the other shows. I'm sure he's been on the other shows as a result of his tweet the other day. Our Jake Montgomery works on this show. He works really on all the shows, but he's working on this show today. And before he blows up too big and his head gets too big, I want to uh, pick his brain because Jake did something the other day where he uh, put out a tweet about, you know, who's the, uh, the athlete that if you could have them be uh, injury-free throughout their career, you would want to, to have that guy have that ability. And his tweet has blown up. It's gone viral. It's been on SportsCenter. It's been here and it's been there. And uh, it's really got him a huge following now, even more so on Twitter. And mostly I want to know how that happened because I would like that to happen to me at some point. So Jake Montgomery, are, are you standing by there, buddy? I'm sorry. Who is this again? It's uh, yeah, exactly right. That's what's going to happen. There's been many people who I've been uh, good friends with, good pals with, and then down the road, right out the window, I get thrown right to the curb. Um, so how many views now? Like the last time we spoke, I think it was on Friday or tweeted mm-hmm. or texted. Um, it had like 10 million views. Correct. So right now, I'll check at this very moment. It has 27 million views on Twitter. 27 million views. With over 40,000 responses. And I kind of just tweeted out a simple question. You can pick one athlete ever to have an injury-free career from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. Who are you choosing? And it, like I said, it had 40,000 responses, which shows, I guess, how big of a part injuries really are in sports. Sure. Yeah. And it seemed like the, I mean, I was, I couldn't go through them all obviously, but it seemed like if you had it like to, to, to analyze it, it seemed like the number one answer was Bo Jackson, right? Yeah. I would say Bo Jackson was the number one answer, but here's the thing. You could have taken this question and gone two different ways with it. You could have chosen an athlete uh, like Ken Griffey Jr. Got a lot of responses and Mickey Mm -hmm. Mantle and Tiger Woods who already are great, but injuries kind of maybe stop them from being the best of all time. Or you could have gone a completely different route and chosen an athlete like Brandon Roy or Greg Oden that had their career derailed by injury right right at the very beginning. So that's why I think there's been a lot of different responses. There's been athletes in all four of the major sports, boxers, uh, soccer players. It really uh, blew up a lot more than I obviously thought. They talked about it on the K show yesterday and Barton Hahn. And uh, yeah, this is definitely... Uh, turned me into viral Jake Montgomery for sure. Right. So you have 27 million. By being on this show, you'll get to 27 million and four. So just to let you hey, know. Hey, I'll take that, that, that point four. four. Yes, absolutely. You know, what I was surprised about with Bo Jackson was that, you know, like Bo, I think, ended his 
baseball career mid-90s, but really, for all intents and purposes, by 1991, that was when he had the – I think it was 90 he had the injury or something like that. Mm-hmm. So um, here, here's the deal. I was born in 1993. Right. So I you never saw Bo Jackson. I know the legend of Bo Jackson, but I didn't really – know his story so when a lot of people started responding about Bo Jackson I wanted to kind of learn more about him and I watched ESPN's very own 30 for 30 on him Mm -hmm. and oh my god what a monster he was yeah well look if you could you know like the old analogy about if the aliens came down and and you could pick the 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 one guy to to go up against the aliens in the battle for universal supremacy Bo Jackson might be the athlete in his prime that you would pick because there was not a single thing that that guy couldn't do he was big he was strong he was fast he was everything you know he was not his legend in terms of the baseball side of things has kind of grown to a, a I think a little bit oversized in that there was nothing he couldn't do but that did not really translate into consistent success on the baseball field like he could do something on any given day that would make you go oh my god like you'd run up the wall and at Yankee Stadium or he'd snap the bat over his head or hit a ball 500 feet or throw a guy out on a on a on a laser but it did not really translate consistently over the the I mean he had a very short career to begin with and there was nothing that he couldn't do he just didn't do all those things on a, on a consistent level throughout his career. Yeah. Abs- I was just kind of surprised that that many people who are, you know, big Twitter users who you'd think would kind of scale more to your age than mine would go with Bo Jackson, a guy that most of them have not seen. Well, some of the celebrities and sports analysts that I saw uh, tweet at it, Field Yates, who does fantasy football for ESPN, he said right. Bo Jackson, the man, could have dominated two leagues. But Field, Field Yates is like 27 years. Is he not really young? He, I, I he would, is a young guy for sure. Yeah. So he said Bo Jackson. A man named Steve Schmidt, who I wasn't really familiar with, but then I clicked on his Twitter and he had 1.4 million uh, followers. All right. He was George W. Bush's advisor. Okay. Uh, he also said Bo Jackson, hands down the greatest athlete I have ever seen with my own eyes. And then Ellie Duncan, who works uh, for ESPN sure. as well, she said Bo Jackson is the obvious choice. But how about Brandon Roy? So much yeah, untapped potential. So sure. going back to what I originally said, you c- could have kind of gone two ways with it. You could have chosen an athlete that was already great or an athlete that is the what if if they didn't get these injuries in the beginning of their career perhaps they might have become great yeah well the one guy you know the, I don't know if you if you got one or not but uh, Brian Taylor was the number one pick in the draft by the Yankees got into the bar fight uh, injured his shoulder and then was ne- he never made the majors he, he he basically didn't do anything from that point on um, so that would have been one that I would have said that I don't think probably most people would bring up Mm-hmm. But that was one that immediately jumped to mind in that second category of if they didn't have the injury, they would have actually had a career like Odin and, and oh, Brandon Roy had a bit of a career. But, yeah, obviously the injury. And Grant Hill and Tracy McGrady and guys like that. But uh, yeah. And Penny Hardaway. But um, one response before we go to break that really made me laugh is one guy responded and said, I would choose any boxer. I don't care who it is, but imagine they couldn't deal with injuries. The guy's just punching him in the face, <laughs> and he can't get hurt. So he said, right. I don't care which boxer, but I'll choose a boxer. And that, yeah. that kind of made me laugh. But, yeah, the tweet definitely went viral yesterday. It was a crazy day for me. Uh, my phone blew up a lot more than it usually does. Uh, it wasn't car warranties calling me, telling me that my car warranty is due. It was a lot of people that I haven't talked to 
you know, in a long time telling me they saw me on ESPN's Instagram account or they saw me on, or heard my name on the Michael K show and Bart and Han. So it was a really cool day for me, for sure. So one last one. Uh, you got, you know, almost 30 million views. How many new followers did you actually get out of that? So I had about 7,500 followers already, which is a okay. good, amount. good um, amount. I tweet about the Yankees a lot, which you know. And uh, I gained about 500 followers. Okay, which, so that's not bad. I mean, yeah. the transfer rate is still not. I mean, for 30 million, I mean, 500 is a lot of followers to get in a short period of time. Absolutely. But the transfer rate is still not good. And yeah, so if you want to follow Jake me, yeah, correct. So actually, it's, it's Jake Montgomery with a zero. I've been trying to contact the guy who has the handle Jake Montgomery. Right. Because he has uh, four followers and hasn't tweeted or liked <laughs> anything since 2010. And I'm like, if you're not going to use the handle, right. give Can it I to g- me. Right, exactly. But it's been a lot harder than I thought to get in touch with him. So, yeah, right, my handle is at Jake Montgomery, and the first O is a zero. So, if you, right. yeah, so you want to follow me, let me know. Superstar, Jake Montgomery, who's doing a fantastic job, and uh, it always does, always does, so good for him. You're listening to the Gordon Damer Show podcast on 98.7 ESPN.